Hi there, this is Darren Spoo, pastor at First Baptist Church in Tulsa, and welcome to our weekly message podcast. We would invite you to join us in person Sunday morning at 8.30 and 11 o'clock in downtown Tulsa, or check out our webpage at tulsafbc.org. God bless you, and have a great week. So how many of you remember Emmett Smith? Anybody remember him? Yeah. No, 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 no. We don't cheer the Dallas Cowboys in this church. I'm laying down the, I'm laying down the rule on that, okay? You can clap for Jesus. You can clap for a lot of things. You can even clap, clap for the Longhorns, but not the Dallas Cowboys, okay? No, Emmett Smith, he uh, was running back for the Dallas Cowboys, 15 seasons, three Super Bowls, 164 touchdowns that he scored personally, and he holds the record of the most rush, rushing yards in the NFL. Well, I was doing so good on my stats, 18,355 running yards, and that is still the world's record. In fact, he has that tattooed on his leg. He says, it's a zip code of one. I'm the only one who holds this record. So with Emmett Smith, as he got older, and trust me, we're not talking about football this morning. We are talking about Jesus. But I use Emmett Smith as a model of maturity because when he was young and in college, he could make all these gyrations and these beautiful moves while also making a lot of yards. He said, I would make a lot of yards and look good doing it. But then as I got older, and by the way, if you want to see me do some gyrations, I would not make them look good, all right? So we'll just move on. He said, as I got older, my body became less responsive, and so I started to have to practice an economy of motion to make only those moves that made a difference. I want you to listen to that. I think that's important, that as we get older, we start paring down the things that really don't matter all that much and start making the moves that make the most difference. So, as a follower of Jesus, we are called to be disciples. And discipling means that I am going to learn how to live what Jesus taught. What he taught is how I'm going to live, okay? And there's so much to that, but I keep it pretty simple to say, here are the moves that matter most. And it's something I think we only learn with maturity. To love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. To love our neighbor. To love other people. And then there's a third commandment in there, not only to love God and to love our neighbor, but we love them as we love ourselves. And I'll mention this again, we are not called to hate ourselves, we're not called to ignore ourselves, we're not called to be in love with ourselves, but we are called to love ourselves as people who are made in the image of God the way that God sees us. So, the older I get, as I read Scripture, as I study Scripture, I look at it through this lens. That any passage of Scripture, how does this help me love God more or love my neighbor more or to love myself as Christ loves me? So here's where I'm going to invite you to turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12. Book of Hebrews chapter 12. Next week, we're going to put the end note on this study. We've been here all summer. We'll start something new in September. But when you get to Hebrews 12, I hope that it looks in your translation like it looks in mine. Because the writer here puts what he says into three paragraphs, okay? The first is Hebrews chapter 12, verses 7, 8, 9, 10, and 11, okay? That's one paragraph in my translation. And we'll unpack this here in just a minute. But in that paragraph is contained, here's a way you can practically learn to love God more, okay? The next paragraph, 12 and 13, verse 12 and 13 of chapter 12 is a little small paragraph, 
This is really, here's a way you can learn to love yourself as Christ loves you. And then, verses 14, 15, 16, and 17, here's how you can practically love other people. So, what we're going to do this morning for the few minutes that we have together is we're going to look at the moves that matter. What it means to love God, what it means to love people, what it means to love yourself, and how to tangibly do that according to what's written here in Hebrews chapter 12. So let's look at how to love God. Hebrews 12, verse 7, endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. So let's just stop right there because everyone in life has hardship. And being a follower of Jesus does not exempt you from having a hard life, okay? What it does do is all of us will have hardship Being a follower of Jesus doesn't exempt you from that, but what it does is it does transform hardship into an opportunity to learn to love God more. God works all things together for those who love him who are called according to his purpose. So here's what Timothy Keller said, and he says, this might be an oversimplification, but if God were only a God of love, and I want to be careful with that because God is love. But in terms of if God were only love, if he only did the things that we liked, then we would be spoiled children. But if God were only a God of wrath, we would be abused children. Now, please don't let the word wrath turn you off to God. Wrath just means that God opposes evil in our world. In fact, wrath is a part of love. I love my wife so much that if you hurt her, you will experience my wrath, right? And I think that's part of being a good husband is I will not tolerate somebody doing evil to my wife. In fact, if I were indifferent, I'd say, I do whatever you want to, that would show that I don't have love. So I know we live in a dark world, but imagine what the world would look like if God were not actively opposing evil, okay? So if God were only a God of love, we would be spoiled children. If God were only a God of wrath, we would be abused children Both of those come together. God will do the things not only that help us feel good, but he will do those things that will allow us to be better. And one of the ways we practically learn to love God is to endure hardship as his child. Now, some things are unpacked here in this paragraph, and I'm just going to mention these as we go. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as children. For what children are not disciplined by their father, and I would say, and mother? Let me just put a little parenting note here. Parents, if you don't discipline your child in a small family with love, then they will ultimately be disciplined by a larger world without love. Would you hear that? As parents, we, we discipline our children in a small family with love, Because if we don't, they're going to be disciplined by a larger world, but without love, okay? So we we should discipline. That's something we do, not to be overbearing. For what children are not disciplined by their father, if you are not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters. So the next time you endure hardship… What is happening is it is confirming your status as God's child. I know that sounds funny, but when you're enduring hardship, you go, okay, 
You know what? God is confirming that I am His. In fact, the Greek word for genuine, it doesn't appear here, but the Greek word for genuine means to place on the knee. Because in a Roman family, when a child was born, the father had the right to accept or reject that child. And it's cruel, but if he didn't like the way the baby looked, they could literally throw him out. And there were no legal ramifications for that. It's cruel. But if the father accepted the child, he would place that child on his knee, thus the word genuine. When we undergo hardship, it is a confirmation that we really belong to him. Let's keep going. Verse 9, moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for us. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits? And this is the only time in the Bible this title is used for God. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? So, we're looking at the moves that mean the most, how to love God, we endure hardship, it confirms our identity, and Here's the best way to endure hardship. Submit to it. God, I don't know what you're doing, and I seem to have no control over what is happening these days. Don't, don't you think that oftentimes we make discipline worse because we resist it? We're spending our energy there instead of saying, okay, God, you have me in this situation. Whatever you want to have happen, let's make it happen and we totally surrender and submit to the hardship that God has us in. Now, here's the deal. I think you'll actually get through it quicker that way than you will by resisting. And so, the next time that hardship hits, it's confirming your identity. The best and really only thing you can do is to submit. But then here's the good news. Verse 11, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace. So, righteousness is a right relationship with God. I don't know if you've ever had this happen. I've had this happen with several of you in the room that we'll have a little relational conflict. Something, something will break in the relationship and we'll actually work on it together and mend it up. And because of that break, the relationship actually becomes stronger. In fact, that's true physically. If you break a bone, it will be stronger in the broken place. So when we have these hardships and something breaks in our relationship with God and it mends back up again, our relationship with Him is stronger than it would have been otherwise. I've been going through all kinds of pain in my back the last year. I would not want to go through that again for any amount of money in the world but I'm glad I've gone through it because there are some things that I know now about God and about the essence of healing and about those of you who deal with chronic pain that I never would have understood before. And that relationship is stronger because of the hardship. But not only righteousness, but peace. I wonder how many of us, God keeps teaching the same lesson to us over and over and over again until we learn how not to overreact. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Because once, no, <laughs> no. Once you go through something, 
and you learn that God has seen you through that, the next time a similar problem arises, you go, you know what, I don't need to panic. God saw me through this before. I don't know how he'll see this through. He'll see me through this again. So when I disciplined our kids growing up, and by the way, um, as an older parent now, I would say that whenever you want to come across really hard on your kids, it's a time to be a little more gentle. And whenever you want to go real gentle on them, it may be time to toughen up just a little bit. I've learned not to trust my own instincts. But with my kids, whenever they were in trouble and we had to discipline them, I did the same thing. I said, why don't you go in my study and wait for me in the chair? And they would take the long perp walk to, to the study, and they would sit in the easy chair, and I would talk to my wife, and we would talk about what to do, and then I would go in, and I would always, I don't know why I did this, I would get in my desk chair and kind of lean back like this, you know, kind of rock back and forth in, in my chair. And for the children, it was always a stressful thing to sit in the chair, right? But hopefully my kids knew that they were there because I loved them. And we weren't out to raise kids, we were out to raise adults. Now, here's kind of the funny part of this. I just got rid of that chair. I've had it for 20-something years, and it was just perfect, and my wife made me get rid of it. Men, do you know what I'm talking about? I mean, it looked ratty, but it felt so good. And so we're at the age that our kids are growing and kind of establishing their own households. And my son said, I get the chair because I spent more time in that chair than any of my siblings. I've earned it. Yeah. And so I, I think what happens when he sits in that chair, he has a little PTSD at first, but then he calms down. Yeah. How do you love God? Endure hardship. Just keep going. Trust that God knows what he's doing. Take the next step. Don't complain. Submit to him and live, okay? So that's the essential move on loving God. Let's drop down to verse 14. I'll come back and pick up that little paragraph here in just a minute. Make every effort to live at peace with everyone. This is another essential movement. This is a movement that matters. I can go back to Hebrews 12, 18. It says, as far as it depends on you, as much as it is your responsibility, live at peace with everyone. It's a tough verse. This says the same thing. Peace is something that we have to make an effort to accomplish. And by the way, this is why loving other people is such a lifelong challenge because you're never going to meet two people who are the same that you're going to relate to in the same way. I mean, every person you meet, you're going to relate to in a little different way and what it means to love them, especially when a conflict arises. So here's what I know. I know the world is filled with toxic people, and that's not being skeptical, that's just being honest. And the best definition I've ever heard of toxic people is this, they're easy to upset and they're near impossible to please. If you want to know a definition of a toxic person, they're easy to upset and hard to please. Here's the news, you can't control them. The only thing you can do is to make sure you are not that toxic person, that you are not easy to upset, that you are not hard to please, that you're not quick to cause a controversy, that you are not slow to make peace. 
That's a practical way. And by the way, as much as it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone, it won't always be possible and it always won't be up to you. But as long as it is, be a person of peace. In our world right now, we love controversy. And by the way, do any of you get lured in? I see this thing on the news that said, such and such public figure got in a big scandal. We'll tell you that right after the commercial break, and I want to hang on. I want to see what they did that was so bad. Instead of loving controversy, what if we started loving compassion just a little bit more? That we're all broken people. So, let's make the moves that matter. Let's love God. That means we endure hardship. Let's love other people, which means that we should seek and pursue peace. Now, here's a little note on loving yourself. Let's back up to verse 12 and 13. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and your weak knees. Make level paths for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. So this is a little pet peeve of mine recently. Uh, I'm a little bit jaded about people saying, oh, I want to feel safe. I want to I have a safe place. Now, I think there are places that should always be safe. Home should be a safe place. We told our kids growing up that, hey, we'll eat dinner together almost every night. Whatever happens at school, even if you hear a bad word and you don't know what it is, you can come home and we'll talk about this around the dinner table. And we heard some really bad words over the years, and that was just from my wife. <laughs> I didn't plan on saying that. I said it in the first service, she laughed, so I said, I'm going to double down, I'm going to say it again, right? But home was a safe place. Now. I think the church ought to be a safe place too, but to a limit, okay? I think this ought to be a place where we're authentic, that we can take off the mask, that we can say, hey, I'm trying to figure out how to follow Jesus. I'm trying to learn to live what he taught. But I also think the church ought to be one of the most dangerous places on the planet because we are dealing with the eternal living God. Amen. And one writer said, we ought to hand out hard hats before the sermon on Sunday morning. We ought to wrap caution tape around the stage because we are dealing with the will of God that says you won't always feel safe, so in response, you should grow strong. Amen. If you want to love yourself, look right here, get strong. Just like if you wear a cast on your leg, that's there to protect that leg while the bone heals, but if then you keep on wearing the cast, that leg will atrophy for misuse. So a way to grow strong is to do the things that challenge you the most. So here's my dare this week. Make the moves that matter most. Love God, keep on enduring hardship. Love your neighbor, live at peace as much as it is possible as far as it depends on you. And then for yourself, if you wanna to learn to love yourself, do something in obedience to God that scares the fire out of you. Do something out of obedience to God that you would do for no other reason than it's what God has called you to do. Now, I'm not asking you to go out and make up some, something wild. 
But I think most of us are given enough challenges in any given day that we can do one thing that we won't feel safe doing it, but as a result, we will grow strong. So John Maxwell, I'm not a big John Maxwell fan, nothing against him, I just don't read a lot of his stuff. I'm sure he's disappointed to find that out. But he says, there are five challenges every person faces. Discouragement, change, problems, fear, and failure. You're going to hit at least one of those this week, and maybe all five. So instead of being discouraged, you say, I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to ask why. I'm going to do the next right thing. Instead of complaining about the change, by the way, there are people who love change. It's the people who are in control of the change. Have you noticed that? For everyone else, it's just chaos, right? But instead of complaining to say, this is an opportunity for me to do something different. Fear, failure, problems, we all face them. What I'm saying is, as a follower of Jesus, we should react to these things differently than those who don't have Christ. And it may not feel safe, but if we lean into them, we might just become strong. So here are the moves that matter. Love God, which means endure some hardship. I have a quote on my bathroom wall by Winston Churchill I've told you before. It says, if you're going through hell, keep going. If you're going through hell, keep going. Endure hardship. I think I like the way Hebrew says it more than Winston Churchill. Dealing with other people, pursue peace. And then with yourself, do something that will make you strong. So normally I get to the end of the message and I go, okay, that's three things. Can't juggle all three things this week, just focus on one. I'm not gonna say that this week. All of these go together. All of them are essential movements because of the commands of Christ to love others, to love neighbor as we love ourselves. In fact, when a pilot who's flying a damaged plane, who's in an emergency, they're taught to do three things and in this order. Aviate, keep flying, navigate, know where you're going, and communicate. Talk to somebody on the ground who can help you. So my challenge as you embrace all three of these this week, if you so choose to, aviate, keep going, don't stop, even when you feel like it, especially when you feel like it. Navigate. The invitation of Hebrews seven times over is draw near to God, draw near to God, draw near to God. And then communicate. As you endure hardship, as you're dealing with people, as you're dealing with yourself, keep talking to God about it. In fact, here's what I would suggest is you would take just Hebrews 12, 7 through 17, and just pray it over and over this week. Pray through this. As you endure hardship, name the hardship before God. As there's a person who you're not in peace with, name that person before the Lord. As you need to get strong, put that in front of God. Aviate, navigate, and communicate. And may the God of peace be present in every one of our lives.
Let's stand together and let's pray together. So, Father, that seems to be the unintentional theme that's been with us all morning long, is that first and foremost that we would have your presence in our life, that we would seek only you, and then as a result of having your presence in our life, we would be people of peace, that we would be at peace with you and with one another and even with ourselves. So may your presence that has been with us here this morning in this place of worship also accompany us as we go into a larger world as we give you our heads and our hearts and our hands this week. It's in the name of Jesus Christ we offer our prayer. Amen. So we're not going to open up the follow-up room, not quite yet. I just want you to be here in the presence of God. Let's worship Him together. And I'll give us our next steps here in just a moment. But we take this time and connect with the Lord. Thanks so much for listening to our weekly message podcast. At the end of each worship service on Sunday morning, I offer a simple blessing, and I offer that blessing to you today. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you. And may God grant you peace, both now and forever. Amen.